Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Decibel Geek Podcast with Chris Sinzak and Aaron Camaro. All right, here we are once again, your favorite rock and roll podcast. That's us, the Decibel Geek Podcast. My name is Aaron Camaro, joined as always by my motliest friend, Chris Sinzak. How's it going, man? It's going good. How are you doing? Good. Having a bit of a rough week, but uh, always happy to jump on a mic with you. And we have a special guest today, and uh, that makes things always better. Yes, because it's getting to be the season of giving thanks. That's right. It's Thanksgiving time once again. And we used to do a long time ago. Some of you might remember this. Every year on Thanksgiving, we would have our Canadian brothers come in and take over for us for a week. So in the name of tradition... We brought a true Canadian hero on the show with us today. And you're going to find out all about it in just a minute. Because, of course, we got to take care of our business. And our business is good. It's podcast reviews, recommendations, whatever. We'll take them. We need them. We love them. And we've got one right here today. It's an Apple podcast review. It's entitled, Five Thumbs Up Again. And it's got all five stars. And it goes like this. This is my second review, four years later, five stars again. Your show has improved. Nothing more I can say. Love it. Your big, big fan, Andy G from Toronto. That's right. Paying some love to Canada. We might as well get it going right off the start. Andy G, awesome review, man. We appreciate it. Thanks so much, man. A good taste up there in Toronto. Oh, I always you wanted, to go, to, always wanted to go to Toronto once and check that city out. Definitely. Someday. Maybe we'll do a rockin' pot up in Toronto someday. That'd be awesome. Yeah, I could go for that. Shoot, yeah. So that's very cool. If you guys want to leave us a review or a recommendation, we like to get them on Podchaser. We like the Facebook recommendations. We really like the Apple Podcast reviews, just like Andy G right there did. And you can do it, too. And if it's awesome, well, you know what? We're going to read it on the show. You're going to hear your name. Or you're going to hear us talking about how awesome you are for doing it. And it's just as simple as that. Help your buddies out. We appreciate it. Another good way you can help out the show Every single week, we come out with a new episode. And when we do, we always make the announcement on one or two places, either our Facebook page or our Twitter account. And if you see either one of those, all you got to do is share it and retweet it, and you can become an honorary geek of the week, just like these fine people. 
Yeah, Geeks of the Week this week are Adam Cox, Robert Rowe, Rob Webb, Joseph Capone, Joe Costa, Kristen Schimbeck, Sean Cullen, John Phillips, Byron Nimitz, Samuel Wetz, Darren Parkin, Grayson Gallegos, Christopher Stokes, Wayne Cross, James West, Scott Kraft, Ben with Joe, Mike Parnell, The Bakery Podcast, Aaron Baker, Keith Rockford, Paul Korn, Simon Cat, Craig Turdich, Pantheon Podcast, Mikhail Burrell, Eric Luzier, Warren Edward LaRue Baker, David Glenn, Doug Fox, Bill Elam, Bipolar Billy, JJP, Body of the Soul, Hakon Bergstad, Eladio, Vet Halen, John McGaffick, Ernesto Aguiar, Stick, Stickman, and as always, the, the Mooger Fooger. That's so right, Fugger. man. Our people right there, Geeks of the Week. Hey, we had a fun time last week. We just busted out the new noise. These people dug it. They shared it. They retweeted it and had a good time, and they are Geeks of the Week. We love them for it. Last week was a lot of yeah. fun. Oh, yeah. It was, I mean, it's always fun when you can talk about a brand-new ACDC record, right? Exactly. Man, still loving that. I've been jamming on it this whole past week again. It's so good. Yeah. I was at the record store the other day. I ran into uh, Ryan Cook on the oh, way yeah? in. We were going into Phonolux, and we get in there, and what's everybody talking about? The new ACDC album and how awesome it is. It was very cool. That's awesome. Heck yeah, yeah. I did not, universal praise. Definitely worth it. Good to see something good happening in 2020. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Well, we've always got something good and fun going on around here. And when you want to have some fun and, like I said, talk about going way back in Decibel Geek history, if you know it, you know what we're talking about. We used to have Walling and Rich on every single Thanksgiving for us. They'd give us the week off so we could enjoy with our families, and we'd celebrate Canadian Thanksgiving. And they had different guests on with them and Basically, if you listen to the CGCM podcast, it was them doing that before there even was such a thing back then. And so to help us give thanks this week to some of our favorite rock and roll from one of our favorite, favorite bands, our main man, the baby gator himself, Wally <laughs> Norton. What's up, brother? Ah, doing good, guys. Doing good. It's been a while. It's been a while. Happy Thanksgiving to all of your listeners out there. Right on. Same to you. Although you just you've already had your Thanksgiving, haven't you? Yeah, Canadian Thanksgiving is like the third week of October. We're about a month month ahead of you there. So, what is the difference between Canadian Thanksgiving and <laughs> an American Thanksgiving? What's the main difference? You know what? We never did a Black Friday until <laughs> probably the last decade or so. And uh, but other than that, I have honestly no history behind it. No idea why ours is earlier. They never really taught us that in the uh, public education system. <laughs> I just know we celebrate in the same way, a day off. But ours is always on a Monday, so we get the official long weekend. And uh, we eat turkey and same thing. Nice. Okay. I, I honestly don't remember any formal education on that. That's wild. So I'm sure <laughs> kind of like American Thanksgiving. They teach you all about it, but then you grow up and find out it was all bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> at least in at least in Canada, they don't waste your time at all. <laughs> exactly. We just get to, right to the turkey. Nice. I like it. Well, bef before we get into this, um, you know, there may be some Decibel Geek listeners, I can't imagine who, that doesn't know about the CGCM podcast. Can you uh, give a little summation about what they can expect if they listen? Well, it is basically, uh, you know, an offshoot of the Decibel Geek podcast. Uh, you invited me to become a Decibel Geek writer back in 2012, which wow. uh, I had a blast doing that. And uh, I introduced uh, my co-host Rich to you guys, and he worked behind the scenes for many years at Decibel Geek as well. Mm -hmm. 
And yeah, once we started doing the once a year co-hosting your show and having a lot of fun with it, people started saying we should, you know, launch out our own and we dodged it for a while and finally put together CGCM podcast and in, you know, a true salute to you guys who who helped us out. That's why we have geeks in our title. <laughs> well, the, the, the only the biggest difference is you guys are a lot meaner to each other than Aaron and I already. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm very nice to my co-host ass face. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't know how many times I've heard the word fuck face come out of Rich's mouth. <laughs> All in good fun. All in good fun. Nice. Oh, man. How is Rich doing these days? He's doing great. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a weird, well, it's a weird world. And uh, we've been locked down, not locked down, locked down, and we're going right back into another one. So it's always crazy. But so we have to socially distance and... And record remotely a lot more, which sucks because it's much better to do it with a couple of pitchers of beer. Right. Yeah. yeah. We're going through the same exact thing. Chris and I haven't been in the same room together since, man, I don't know, probably the first month in 2020. I think really sometime in February, maybe was yeah. the last time yeah. we saw each other. Yeah. Yep. It sucks. I hate Skype. I love it, but I hate it. You know, I love it because yeah. you can do this if you have to. But I hate it because it's never the same as sitting in the room with the person you're talking to. Exactly. All right. So I just figured today, since we had the three of us together after so long, it's so good to get back together with Wally. Something the three of us all have in common is our love, respect, and adoration of the band Motley Crue. And Motley Crue's given us a lot of studio albums over the years. And I thought, how fun would it be to sit down with Wally and Chris and myself and go through every single Motley Crue album and try to figure out what is the best song on each one? Was it the best or our favorite? Well, the best to you, our favorites, yeah. Because, I mean, who can say who's really the best? Yeah. The three of us will disagree. People listening to the show will definitely disagree and sometimes agree. So we'll just see how it goes. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing how many matches we get here. I'm willing to bet there will be a few. Yeah. So for me, I can tell you that I got into Motley Crew probably the same way as Chris, being that we're pretty close to the same age. And that would have been seeing the Smoking in the Boys Room video on MTV. And seeing it and going, wow, that's cool. It reminded me kind of a kiss. And so I wanted to check out Motley Crue. And I got the Theater of Pain album for Christmas that year from my cousin Rhonda. And it was, yeah, I loved it. And then from there, I they were a band that when Girls, Girls, Girls came out after that, I got it. And then I went back and got Shout at the Devil and the debut album. And so I was all in on Motley Crue. Still to this day, love Motley Crue. And so it'll be fun to go through all this. How'd you guys get into the crew? Um, for, well, similar to you, um, it was when Smoking in the Boys Room was out on MTV. And I remember I had a friend at school that had the cassette tape of it. And he was a fan going back to the first album. And I remember mentioning it to him that I'd saw the video. I was like, that's a really cool song. And, of course, being a dumb kid, you don't realize it's a cover song. I thought right. it was original. And um, and I was just like, oh, I want to hear the rest of that record. And he's like, well, I'll come in. I'll bring it to you tomorrow because I think it sucks. And he gave it to me. And because uh, <laughs> he, he was not a fan of it compared to the first two records. Right. And uh, gave it to me. And, and I, lo- I still have a soft spot in my heart for that album because it was my first Motley Crue record. Okay, I'm already worried about this whole conversation starting this way, but 
I uh, had not realized that you guys jumped in on Theater of Pain. <laughs> and this is a long-going topic of conversation on CGCM. Oh, I know. <laughs> the Meister's adoration for Theater of Pain, because he also got he also jumped on to the uh, crew chain at that time. Now, I got into crew uh, a little bit earlier. I must have seen... It was well. It was Def Leppard and Quiet Riot that indoctrinated me into a world of hard rock and heavy metal. And Kiss, uh, I was introduced to by my my older cousin, but they were always the the image and the trading cards more so than the music. And it wasn't until Def Leppard Pyromania came out that you know I suddenly opened my eyes to hard rock, right. and Motley Crue soon followed. So I'm pretty sure it was a show called Friday Night Videos. I think this predated it, MTV. Uh, we would watch it every Friday night, and they'd always play the newest newest videos and uh, saw the video for Looks That Kill and immediately went out to buy Shout at the Devil. So I was in there a little bit earlier than you guys, and Motley Crue, Shout at the Devil Tour, June 10th, 1984, was my first concert. Nice. Lucky. Yeah, Motley Crue and Accept. Oh, oh hell yeah. Awesome so, and then proceeded to make, make sure I would catch every tour. They did not. Well, we'll get we'll get there. Get ahead okay. of themselves. All right, cool. <laughs> so then, you guys ready to get started at the, on this? We'll get start right at the very beginning. The self titled debut, or as we like to call it, "Too Fast for Love." A lot of great cool. songs on this album. This was one that you know, and I'm I'm a little different. I I take offense to you trying to lump all of us that came in on theater pain together because to me, it was theater pain brought me in. But Shout at the Devil and Too Fast for Love was what really made me a Motley Crue fan, was going back and going, wow, this is way better than Theater of Pain. Thank you. That's what I was worried about. <laughs> it's okay wherever you jump in. I don't mind that. <laughs> just didn't want more people on Rich's side in his whole argument. <laughs> because his his view is Theater of Pain is Motley's best album. Chris? No. <laughs> Oh, not at all. Nobody does. <laughs> I kind of half I expected it, I that you it. would. I think Andy LaFon agrees with him. Somebody out there agrees with him, but in the minority for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Rich. I thought for sure Chris was going to say, what? Yeah, of course it's their best album. That was Motley Crue's Crazy Nights. <laughs> now that would be girls, girls, girls. <laughs> but let's start out with that first album, man. So good. I love every song on here. I really do. There, This one might be the toughest one for me to personally pick. Same here. I had a hard time deciding on one for this one. Yeah, it's, it's sleaze rock at its best for sure, for sure. Definitely. If I got to whittle it down, one song above the rest, as difficult as it is, I'm going to go with Piece of Your Action. Nice. That's a great one. I think that's, uh, and it's so hard to say because, I mean, Live Wire, Come On and Dance, Public Enemy number one, right on down the line. I love every single song. I even love Toast of the Town, which came oh, out great. on the uh, Crucial Crew re-releases. Yeah, it's hard to believe that song wasn't on the original. Yeah, it's, it's got Stick to Your Guns on it, and it's got uh, Tonight on it. For me, um I almost picked piece of your action also because that one. I, I'm I'm doing this a little different. I'm gonna I'm gonna say what my favorite would have been when I first got into the album, and then I'll say if that matches up to today. So when I first got this record, the song "On with the Show" was my favorite song on this record. Yeah, well, that's a great dude. Yeah, yeah, I just 
I like the storytelling in it, and I yes. just like the little muted picking parts and the verses and stuff. And it just is always I loved it. I still like it, but if I had to pick one today, I think "Take Me to the Top" is my favorite song on this record. Interesting. Oh man, I, that one's so good too. And I think what clinched it for me was when I finally saw the US Festival footage of them playing it, and they're doing the uh, the choreographed part with the little harmonic walk down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I just that was just like this song fucking rules. And that yeah, since that since I saw that footage, this is take me to the top has always been my favorite song on this record since then. Nice, nice, man. You're making it hard for me. Like I'm going away. Chris is right (laughs) (laughs) when you put it like that. But I also see what you're saying about merry-go-round. Like I remember, man, this must have been ninety. 97, 98, there was a place, like a group of people that always hung out at this same place and we had free run of it. And so it was just like a bunch of young people hanging out and we'd drink and smoke and play cards and listen to music. And Merry-Go-Round was one of those songs that it seemed so weird and out of place, but everybody knew that song. And every time it would come up on their, you know, million disc changer everybody would stop and sing along with it. It was such a weird thing, but yeah, that's such a great song, but you're right. I love the storytelling in the song. Crew's good about that over the years, you know, kind of telling those stories, kind of like Dr. Feelgood, you know, stories in the songs. I like that when Molly does it. Yeah. All right, Wally. Well, uh, it's hard to argue with live wire. It's just absolutely crunching. And that was probably my favorite for, for many, many years, but I also always love the melodic punch of Public Enemy Number One, yeah, and they yeah. did actually play that the first time I saw Motley, so it was uh, one of the standout moments for sure. Can you pick a least favorite song off this album? That that's the true test. Yeah. It's hard to pick a least favorite because they're all so good. Um, this is gonna piss Aaron off, but I, I've never been a giant fan of Merry Go Round. Yeah, I was gonna agree. It's, it's, <laughs> it's too a little too me. repetitive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's got the cool story in it. I like it, though. It's still fun. Oh, I never skip it. It's just if I have to pick a least favorite, that would be the one. On With the Show is so good because it tells a really good story. Right. And crew's good at telling the story songs. Well, did you know, did you hear the story behind what that song's supposed to be about? Uh-uh. On With the Show? Yeah, it's because the lyrics are, Frankie died just the other night. Right. Some say it was suicide. Frankie is Nikki Six's real name, right? And he wrote that about himself. Basically, when he renamed himself Nikki Six, it was his way of burying his old self. Ah, that's very but cool. That's what, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that's what I heard that it was about. Yeah, that's uh, that's right from the Dirt Book for sure. But then again, yeah, if it's in the the Dirt Book, it's, it's questionable. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> It's the same guy that kept a diary when he was doing massive amounts of heroin. So take that as you will. Right. Yeah. So we're all in agreement that the first Smiley Crew album is one of the greatest albums ever released of all time. That's it's a, yeah. it's it's yeah. high up there. I don't know if it's up in like the top ten of ever. I don't know about top ten, released, but it's way but it's up great. there. Well, this next one might be in the top ten as we go on to shout at the devil. Anybody got a favorite Love song it. off this one? Oh yeah. Besides all of them, <laughs> this one this one didn't take time at all because it's all it's always been my favorite song on this record since I well since I bought it first time I first song I heard from this was Too Young to Fall in Love from the video I remember yeah. and I liked it but the song Red Hot is always my favorite song on this record. That's also my pick. Taylor tune. Yeah, really. 
Okay. All right. All three of us for nope, Red not Hot. Me. No, no, not me. Oh, no? Okay. Not All right. Me. Well. Actually, it may have been Red Hot early, early on for me. But after seeing them live as many times as I have, 10 Seconds to Love is uh yeah. is definitely my favorite track he, yeah. hearing them do that live and if and if you saw that footage um there's some youtube footage on on the girls 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 tour from 10 seconds to love being a bass player i just love they would do an extended version live and nikki would uh would just keep repeating the bass line and nikki would go off on some kind of tirade but during the girls 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 tour that's when uh nikki would uh pour the jack daniels down uh down nikki's throat while lying on the stage, still playing that bass riff, it was it was just too much fun, and it's embedded in my brain. I love that song. Hell That's yeah! Cool. So since well, since we're doing the theme of best and worst, let's. So what do you think's the worst song on here? Um, looks like Kill is amazing. Bastard is awesome. Don't really count, you know. God bless the children of the beast. That's kind of just part of Helter Skelter, which is awesome. Red yeah, Hot. I, I mean. I have a hard time not picking Red Hot as my favorite because it's such just a killer rocking song. Like Wally said, Too Young to Fall in Love is killer. So I guess that leaves Knock 'em Dead Kid, which is badass too. There is no oh, bad song I on this. That. I know. <laughs> you, I think Danger is the worst song on yeah, this Yeah, yeah, maybe. Oh, yeah, Danger. Yeah, because you still got 10 Although seconds to me, love, which is killer. If you're telling me. Which one, if if I had to get rid of one track, I might go with Helter Skelter because I could just always live with the Beatles version. I like this one better. Oh, yeah, me too. Yeah, I don't know what you'd take off of here. I guess if I had to take one off, pick one worst one, I guess it would have to be Danger. That's the only one that's not as strong as the rest, I guess. But, I mean, not by much because this is a perfect album. There's nothing wrong with it at all. So what do we got? Chris got red hot. I got red hot. What'd you go with, Wally? I went 10 Seconds to Love. Man, so good. So good. I love that album so much. All right, this, that'll bring us up to uh, Motley Crue's Theater of Pain. This was Chris and myself's introduction. I look back on it myself. Mm, doesn't hold up like when I was a kid. Like when I was a kid, all these songs were my favorite. Now... I don't know. Something funny about this album. There's there's a few good songs and there's uh there's a lot of weaknesses on this one too. All right, so here we are, Motley Crue Theater of Pain. This was the one, Chris, it did it for you, it did it for me. This was my first Motley Crue album as a kid. Man, I loved it. I loved everything about it. I listened to it over and over and over again. But at that time, it was the only Motley Crue album I had. It was the only Motley Crue album I knew. And so it was awesome to me. And then, like I said, then I went back and found Shout at the Devil and was like, oh, wow. And then I went back and found the debut album and was like, whoa. And then all of a sudden, Theater Payne wasn't quite as cool as it was when it was the only crew I had. But, man, as a teenager, I loved every single one of these songs. Yeah, me too. Yeah, well, for me, I mean, I I had already, you know, had lived with Shout of the Devil and Too Fast for Love. So theater was the first one I was, like, eagerly anticipating. And it was, a, we'll say, a little bit of a letdown after the first two. Yeah, I could definitely see that. Well, yeah, Smoking in the Boys Room, the video was new at the time. And, and that was when I 
told my friend at school and he had just bought it like a week before and he was like, I think it sucks. You can have it. Wow. <laughs> so, it's, so yeah, it was, it was, it had been out maybe a month at the most when I got it. Yeah. I could definitely see how like a, somebody that was a Molly Crew fan from the very beginning got the first one was like, yeah, got the second one was like, whoa, got the third one was like, what? Because they yeah, changed so the much. The edge was gone a little. Yeah. It is a lot slicker than the first yeah. two. But the tour was amazing. I can imagine. Yeah. Uh, that was Maple Leaf Gardens in Toronto and Y&T opening up. Nice. And it was great, show. Yeah. They didn't play a whole lot of songs off this album on the tour, did they? Uh, wow. That's a long time ago. But I know uh, they played Use It or Lose It, Keep Your Eye on the Money, uh, and, of course, Home Sweet Home right. and... Um, Smoking in the boys' room. Right. Beyond that, I don't remember. And I don't think a lot of these other songs that you don't mention amongst those four are ones that they really went back to a whole lot at all over their careers. It's weird yeah, to look yeah. at this. I mean, as a little kid, when I was listening to this, my number one favorite on here was Raise Your Hands to Rock. Because it's so anthemic. It was just yep. like what I liked about Kiss. It was it was the kind of songs that would make you, you know, for me as a teenager, I was always into this kind of music because it was kind of uplifting. You know, it was it made you feel cool to like it. You know, a song like Raise Your Hands to Rock, you know, the 13 year old me was literally doing that. So that song always for me is going to stand out. But now looking back, I'd say... Man, I, I really like Save Our Souls. I mean, that's a weird song, but it's dark and it's cool. Hmm. Yeah. Number the one favorite on that, off here, I think. Yeah, maybe I'll cool. go with that. Yeah, the riff on that song is really good. Yeah, I'm going to go with Save Our Souls. What a weird pick. Cool. But yeah, that jumps out to me right now. What do you guys I, think? I have always really liked Keep Your Eye on the Money. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah, a good one. Very melodic. A little different, and uh, oh, and they did also play "Louder Than Hell" in in, in on that tour. Right on. Okay, that's a, keep your eye on the money's good musically, but I think the lyrics are kind of dopey on that one. Yeah, it's a Las Vegas uh, well, party song. Yeah, and I when I first got this, I mean, I'm a ballad guy. I loved "Home Sweet Home" at the time just because it's so damn catchy, but. Um, for the heavier songs, I think I used to love Louder Than Hell the most. Yeah. Um, but uh, that's a bit of a cheat because it was actually called Hotter Than Hell and it was a demo yep. for Shout at the Devil. So that's it's right. not <laughs> – it wasn't really written for this record. So to be fair, the one that I like the most now is uh, Tonight We Need a Lover. I love the, the guitar playing on that song. Wow. Nice. And I, lo I love how it speeds up at the end too. I think that's really cool. Yeah, yeah. What do you think's the worst thing on here? The opener never did much for me. City Boy Blues. It's not a great opener. No. No. Yeah, City Boy Blues is kind of weak compared to some of this other stuff. I don't know. I was never I was never really a big fan of uh We Need a Lover Tonight. When I was really? young, I that was my least favorite song on here. Looking at it now, maybe Rich is right about this. This album ain't is bad. When you really look at the song list, the tracks on it, I mean, nothing's terrible. I think it it hurts it because it's got a bad opener. It's not – City Boy Blues is not a terrible song, but it's not the right song. I think Tonight We Need a Lover would have been a great song to open the record, honestly, because of the, the way it has the energy that mm -hmm. it has. But 
It also has a bad ending with Fight for Your Rights. I think I think that's the least good song on the record. Oh, you're right. I don't know. I kind of dug that, too. Yeah, but do you need to hear Vince Neil singing about Martin Luther King? I mean, yeah, he's not. Yeah, bonded. that's true. <laughs> hey, hey, wait a minute. He did grow up in Compton. Don't forget you that. You want to hear Vince Neil do Boys in the Hood? <laughs> he was one. <laughs> it, it's, it's, it's killer filler. Yeah, I think so, too. I think a lot of these songs on here are pretty good. If the, I think if the production was a little bit raw, I think people would like it more. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think the production's and kind I of, do think And I do think Home Sweet Home is the most well-crafted song on the album, but I just generally am not going to be picking a ballad. <laughs> okay, I'll be the guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, you look at that song, man. That song kind of started something. You know, as far as the ballads go, I mean, I guess it really didn't start something because bands have been writing ballads about being on the road since bands were touring. But that song, when it came on on MTV and on the radio, it really totally influenced everybody after that as far as we've got to have a home sweet home. Yep. Yeah. That's the blueprint for all the bands that wanted to be them. Yeah, and there were a the lot of them. Perfect, right? Yeah, it's a great video. Yeah, yeah, you can't hate it. It is an awesome song. You know, I, I don't care much for Tommy Lee's recent output, but he did a good job on that song. <laughs> <laughs> Bananas. Bananas. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I guess that brings us up to the next one. This would be my second Motley Crue album I ever owned. And that is Girls, Girls, Girls. I remember this one because I had Theater of Pain. I hadn't gone back yet at this point and discovered the first two. So at this point, all I know is Theater of Pain and now Girls, Girls, Girls is coming out. And Girls, Girls, Girls before Shout. Wow. Yep. Okay. And had asked my parents for this one. I think it was birthday or something. You know, they were bribing me in some way. And this was one I had to have new. I remember uh, hearing it on, like, the Rick D's Top 40 show, the song Girls, Girls, Girls. Rick D's. I'll never forget <laughs> listening to my little blue Walkman with my headphones on and jamming on that and listening. I'd listen on Sunday mornings just to hear a band like this because now I'm into crew and I want to hear more. And I remember hearing Girls, Girls, Girls on that. I remember where I was standing, you know, thinking back on it. And thinking, I gotta get this. And so, however I had to do, whatever it was, if I had a, if I had a birthday coming up, or if I had a, man, what you need me to chop some firewood? I'll do that. I need that Motley Crue album. And so I got this one when it was new on LP, and brought it home, put the needle down. We talked about how weak of an opening song that City Boy Blues was for Theater of Pain. Not the case for girls, girls, girls. Because the first thing I heard was Wild Side. And to this day, that is one of my all-time favorite Motley Crue songs. Man, that opening track, so powerful, so strong, such an awesome riff. I got to go with Wild Side. You just can't beat it. It's one of the best songs Motley Crue ever did. I'm 110% in agreement with you. I well, That was the first one I heard on it, and... To this day, I think it's one of the best songs they ever did, and and I it's it's 
considered overplayed by them, but I still love Girls, Girls, Girls. I could go the rest of my life and never hear that song again and be fine. Yeah. But Wild Side, especially Nicky's bass part, I know he didn't get a lot of credit for his bass playing, but I love the just the, the helicopter-style bass part he's doing on that. And, you know, it's got a little bit of cowbell to it. Love that one. Um, so that's definitely my number one for sure. Yeah. Yeah, well, ass. we're going to make that three because nice. they're absolutely my favorite track. And my favorite, quite possibly my favorite Motley Crue track, complete. Um, yeah, live, it just, it's amazing. Doesn't matter which tour you're talking about. And uh, once again, Maple Leaf Gardens and Whitesnake opened the show. This was uh, a, a very cool afternoon. I remember. Sitting in, in high school, we had the, the really, really cool science teacher, and me and my buddy were uh, absolutely bouncing off the walls, trying to get out of class to uh, head to Toronto and catch this concert. And uh, finally, my teacher had had enough of us and, and said, what is wrong with you two? <laughs> so we, we told her, we said, well, we're, we're excited because we're going to see Molly Crew today. She went, get out of here. <laughs> so she let us leave early. It was fantastic. Nice. Yep. Awesome. <laughs> Well, then what's really cool about this album, I think, is since we're all in agreement with Wildside being the best song on this album, I'd be willing to bet that we'd probably all agree on the worst song on this album, too. <laughs> I don't know. You think there's something on here worse than Nona? Well, do you really want to count Nona? It's a minute and 26 seconds. I mean, I guess it's it, it's a it's more of an interlude than a song, isn't it? Yeah, I guess so, but I just remember when I was a kid, and you got to remember, I'm probably, you know, 14, 15 years old, and I'm getting this, and, you know, Wild Side, and Girls, 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 and Dancing on Glass, and Bad Boy Boogie, and what? (laughs) (laughs) Nikki's tribute to his grandmother. Yeah, Uh, it was weird. If you don't count Nona... Which yeah. we're going to call an interlude because it is only less than a minute and a half. And a little tribute to Grandma that passed away. We can respect that. And not counting Jailhouse Rock, which is kind of cool, but out of place on this album. I would have rather had one more real song. What's the worst yeah, song on the filler. album? Mm. I don't. I can't stand Bad Boy Boogie. I've never liked that song. Yeah, looking yeah, at the I rest kinda, of them. I've got to agree on that. Something for Nothing is pretty good. All in the Name oh, of is still something I really like. Which Dancing one? on Glass is cool. Girls, yeah. Girls, Girls, you can't deny. You're All I Need is probably one of the coolest sweet love ballads of the 80s. <laughs> Did you ever hear bon, about John Bon Jovi complimenting that song to Nikki Six? Uh-uh. I don't know. He t- that they like ran into each other on the road or something, and John Bon Jovi goes, "That's one of the best love songs I've ever oh, heard." Yeah, and yeah. he's like, "Dude, it's about a guy killing his girlfriend." <laughs> <laughs> I just love it. it was written in response to um, oh that actor's name. Uh, he was on Beverly Hills. Uh, sorry, Melrose Place. Oh, it was a uh, Jack Wagner. Right? Yes, yeah. Who also had a huge hit with a song of the oh, same I name. Hate- Totally different song. Oh yeah, yeah Is that totally. because of Heather Locklear. Um, no. Was she, um, she was dating him before. I can't remember the whole story, but yeah, it, no, it was it was Wagner was dating one of Nikki's ex girlfriends, which would have wouldn't have been Heather. So, okay, like yeah. I need to write a song <laughs> to stick it to my girlfriend's ex boyfriend. And he wrote a song right. called You're All I Need that's all 
rainbows and sunshine. So I'm going to write a song called You're All I Need, and it's going to be the darkest sweet love ballad ever. And that video was banned in Canada. It was banned in the U.S. too. Oh, was it too? I, was say, I don't yeah. remember ever seeing that. It got shown for like a week, I think, and then MTV pulled it. Wow. Right? Yeah. You can see it on YouTube, though, I think. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to have to go check that out. I don't think I've ever seen it. It's not really super graphic. I just think it's the subject matter of the song pissed a lot of parents off. Yeah. Yeah. It's not what you expect when you hear a song like that. <laughs> There's so many sweet love ballads are so syrupy and just bleh, But that one's kind of cool. Yeah, it's not that. It lulls <laughs> you in. And then you're like, wait, what is this? <laughs> So we're in agreement. The best song on Girls, Girls, Girls is Wild Side, and the worst song is Bad Boy Boogie. And yeah, yeah, for me. Consensus. Wow, that's easy, a consensus. How you like that? <laughs> that brings us up to quite possibly Motley Crue's most popular album, especially when it was new. Commercially, for sure. Dr. Feelgood. It was a good time to be a Motley Crue fan. Oh, yeah. It was a good time just to be a rocker when this album came out. This is a special thing right here. You know, Chris and I have done a special with BJ Kahuna on the Rock and or Roll show and talked about this album. And man, that brought up so many great memories for me because when I look at this, this is so much more than just an album. This is a snapshot of maybe the greatest time to be alive. It was a great time to be a, f- a fan of that music because it was it had crossed over into the mainstream at that point. You couldn't you oh, could yeah. not you could not escape hard rock in those days. No, it was awesome. Oh man, I love and, it. And to add to it, I was just hitting drinking age. Nice. So it was perfect. <laughs> nice. Well, when you heard the last song on the record, you needed a drink. I'm sure. <laughs> wow, that was <getting> there. <laughs> so I guess let's get it out of the way. What's the worst song on the album? It's time for change. <laughs> yeah, it was time to change the, change the channel. <laughs> I don't know if I've told this story before on the show. There was uh, they used to do pep rallies for whatever, <laughs> like the football team or whatever, had a game coming up, and so they'd make everybody come to the gymnasium and sit in the studio in the, up in the bleachers, and they'd make like some kind of presentation. And I remember one time the group of whoever, like the most pretentious goobers in school, and they did this big <laughs> lip syncing thing where they did time for change, but they like came out into the crowd and were like lip syncing like they were singing to us. It was just the lamest thing ever. It's like, <laughs> damn it, Motley Crue, why do you give these people this opportunity with a song like this? <laughs> Okay, yeah. so that's obviously the consensus. But if you had to pick another one for the uh, world. Hmm. I, I got one, but go this ahead. Will, this will be one that will probably not get much agreement. but And it may be because I'm so sick of it, but I never liked it even when it was a hit was Don't Go Away Mad. Thank I nev- you. never yeah, fucking liked it. that song. I, I, what, they still play that uh, – well, they would – until the last tour, um, they would they would play it every time. That was my go to the bathroom tune. I just boring song. Yeah, that one's not that great. I was looking either between that one or 
I don't know. Yeah, I guess it's got to be that one because the rest of the album's pretty damn good. Maybe well, I don't know. Slice of your pie sometimes is it's cheese, but I, yeah. I, I'll still watch it and not go to the bathroom. Well, th- this <laughs> album had a it was plagued with some like horrific lyrics on top of good music. Right. So yeah, like slice of your pie has a great swagger to it musically, yes, but yeah. lyrically it's fucking cringe. <laughs> and then. Rattlesnake Shake, terrible lyrics, but but yeah. that's got a ton of great playing on it. Yeah, yeah. and again, yeah. you talk about like how at this time Motley Crue was kind of trying to be Aerosmith when you talk about those two songs, Slice Your Pie and Rattlesnake Shake. Either one of them would have fit perfectly on the Aerosmith album coming out at this time. Yeah, oh, you're yeah, right. definitely. And uh, well, wait a minute, we overlooked something here. I take back Don't Go Away Mad. I have to put Without You as the next bad song. Oh, yeah, maybe. <laughs> I'm a ballads guy, and even I'm not a fan of that yeah, one. That's bad. Yeah, I don't really like Without You either. If I had to remove two songs off here, it would definitely be Time for Change and Without You, without question. Yeah, yeah I mean, we didn't, with, with, with Time for Change, did, I mean, they should have stayed on drugs because we didn't need a hard rock version of We Are the World. <laughs> Well, and that was the other bummer thing about it, too, because as, like you said, it was such an awesome time to be a rock fan, but this was kind of marked a little bit of a a change in, in the weather, too, in it, because, like, you'd be like, yeah, Motley Crue, new album, and I love the songs, you know, I love She Goes Down, Sticky Sweet, and Dr. Feelgood, and Kickstart My Heart, but then when you're sitting in front of the MTV with your friends, what are they playing without you? <laughs> And it's like, yeah. you know, your buddies that are starting to get into Metallica and stuff are like, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, they would like, have been smart not to put Without You out as a single. Yeah, you're right. Because Guns N' Roses was coming in, too. They had no, they other than Sweet Child of Mine, they didn't really have any ballads either. Yeah. So, like, they would have kept more of their edge if they didn't put Without You out as a single, I think. Yeah, that hurt it because that single wasn't – it was a hit. And it didn't do well. It was – I mean, yeah, but it, I oh, guess no. they they play – it put, It got pushed, I guess. It wasn't a it good got, song. Oh, it sound, sounded like it was a half-assed ballad to me. Yeah, you're, it was weak. It was weak. You're all – in, in the ballad battle, you're all I need totally blows the doors off of without you. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So are we going to have a consensus on best song? I'm going with the title track. I don't think oh, yeah, anything is better than that. Yeah. Kickstart's got the great riff. But I, I, as for the complete song, Dr. Feelgood, for sure. Man, I always got to look to the deep cuts. You know, I think Sticky Sweet and She Goes Down are such great tunes. But, yeah, it's hard to argue. I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to agree with you guys. You got to – it's a complete song, top to bottom – this was so cool because when Motley Crue was back with a new album, the first thing was Dr. Feelgood, and that was cool. You know, that was something you could sit with in a room full of Metallica fans and be like, hell yeah, Motley Crue. Oh, yeah. And so, yeah, I'm going to agree with you guys. Dr. Feelgood, title track, best song on here. Possibly, Sorry, go ahead. Possibly the best guitar riff they ever wrote. Yeah. I'll give Runner Up to – actually, I love Same Old Situation. I think that's a great track, too. A little poppy, but yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's a fun song. I really got sick of that video, though. MTV ran that one into the ground. Yeah. I, I did not mention I did catch the Dr. Feelgood tour twice in Buffalo, 
uh, with Warrant opening up, and then in Toronto at the Toronto Blue Jays Skydome with nice. uh, Tesla. All up. right on. That's a good lineup. Hell yeah. yes, Wally. That's awesome. And can, before we dive into the self-titled 94 record, I know we're not doing compilations, but I got to say, Primal Scream is one of my yes. favorite songs that they ever did. Oh. Yeah, I guess before we jump ahead, we Absolutely can take a little killer. pit stop with uh, Decade of Decadence because, I mean, that too was another album that was super important to me. Primal Scream on that was a game changer. That was a great, great addition to the live set for sure. I mean, even Rock and Roll Junkie and Teaser are badass on here. Yeah, Yeah, that was a pretty big deal. At this point, when Decade Decadence comes out, at this point, I've heard Shout at the Devil, and I've heard the first album. Right. So it was in between Girls, Girls, Girls and Dr. Feelgood when I finally then went back. And so by the time this came out, it was kind of a... Man, do I want to buy this album? I'm I'm sure back then it was probably cassette tape at this point. I'm sure yeah, I'm certain I had this on cassette. Do I want to get that on cassette? I already know most of the songs on it, but there's some songs on here I've never heard. Like even Angela isn't bad as far well, as like a upbeat rocker, kind of just a yeah, fun song. I liked it. I always just thought, noticed that the chorus on Angela sounds just like a rewrite of Don't Go Away Mad. Oh, see, now I used to like it. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> and what about the cover of Anarchy in the UK? I always love that. Yeah, I like that, that was one fun. a lot. So other than all the songs you already heard before, Decade of Decadence deserves a mention because there are some damn good new songs on there that people hadn't heard before. Yeah, and even the... Um, the remix of Piece of Your Action, I think, is better than the original. I suppose technology was a little bit better at that point. Yeah. I gotta go back and A-B them. I honestly don't think I ever did. Got yeah, a fuller sound. Right. Okay, so that brings us up to a totally different thing. A whole new era for Motley Crue. Motley Crue goes on in 1994 but not with Vince Neil, who's gone solo. This is a whole new Motley Crue with a whole new singer, a guy we all know and like a lot, John Karabi. When Motley Crue comes out with their self-titled album, it's so hard to pick. This is so good. I mean, Wally, Chris, and everybody knows how Chris and I feel about this album. What what did you, as a longtime Crue fan, Think about it when Vince Neil left and Motley Crue carries on with a new singer. Yeah, well, if I remember it correctly, I mean, Crue were my band. It was Crue and Kiss right through. And I remember many interviews uh, with the guys, and it was, you know, questions would be asked if somebody left the band, and they would always state, oh, the band would be over, blah, blah, blah. And then, of course, that did not transpire. And I kind of rolled my eyes and went, that figures. But uh, I was totally skeptical. I had already kind of witnessed the whole Van Halen situation by yeah. this point with uh, with Hagar. And I, and I was Team Roth in that battle. But, yeah, I, I was totally pissed that they were going to switch it up. Uh, but I was willing to give it a chance because they were my band. And I didn't want it to stop if that was the alternative. Let's see what this new guy brings to the table. Nice. 
predisposed to not trust it, but still willing to give it a shot because it's Motley Crue. Yep. Yeah. I remember Metal Edge was where I first saw the news that, well, well, Vince Neil being kicked out of the band was big news. I remember even mainstream yeah. talk shows were yeah, talking about sure. that. But then everything went quiet. As it basically, like the mainstream media was like, "All right, we're done with these guys." But uh, Metal Edge magazine they they picked up on it really early because I remember it was still just a rumor. They were like, "John Karabi of the band The Scream is auditioning for Motley Crue." I remember actually reading that. Wow. And, and that's when I checked out the Scream record because of that article. And uh, but I remember thinking, I don't know how this is going to work, but um, pleasantly surprised when it came out. Oh yeah, when I heard Hooligans Holiday for the first time, I totally embraced it. I was all in. I loved it. I was so disappointed that this would be the first tour that I would not get to see because it was so commercially disastrous that they never they never made it to Toronto. Dang. Yep. Yeah, see, I remember this kind of like Chris. I remember reading about it and being like, wow, what's going to happen, you know? And then I was real lucky to grow up where I did because we had a really cool rock radio station. And this is years before I ever got to work there. I was a kid listening to it. And they had a big deal about the Central Wisconsin premiere of the new Motley Crue song. And I remember knowing that Vince Neil's out of the band. I don't remember if I heard Vince Neil's solo album first or not, but I do remember this being a big deal to me because I had to be listening at, you know, 7 o'clock tonight, the new Motley Crue song. And I heard it and was like, wow. It was Hooligan's Holiday and was totally blown away by it and loved it, you know, and was one of those things where it's like, I kind of felt like I shouldn't love it because it's not the Motley Crue that I like. (laughs) But kind of like you being skeptical about it and not maybe not even wanting to like it, but it couldn't be denied because Hooligans Holiday was such a good song that all of a sudden I really didn't care that, you know, Vince Neil was out of the band. I still had all these old awesome albums, you know, and I could go back and listen to any one of them anytime I wanted to. But I like the new stuff so much that all of a sudden being bummed out about about Vince Neil being gone didn't hurt anymore. This was all right. We were the we were the uh, silent minority that uh, didn't help bring this album to success, unfortunately. But right. yeah, it would have yeah. would have been uh, should have been a huge record. And man, picking a favorite off this one sucked. Um, <laughs> I uh, I kind of I went back and forth on this a lot. Um, but if I have to pick right now, I'd say Smoke the Sky is probably my favorite song. Really? Eh? Nice, because that's what I picked, too. How funny. Oh, really? Yeah, <laughs> totally. I've always loved that song. That's always been my favorite song off this album because it's a, you know, it's a pot smoker song. I like that. You know, it's it's fun, but it's hard and rocking. It's it's hard to pick one song off here because, I mean, really, it's all so good. There's yeah. really... I'm telling you, I'd have a way harder time picking a worse song than I do a best song because they're all the best songs. This whole thing is one awesome, awesome album. This is another one. I'll call it. It's a perfect album. It's the second perfect album in Motley Crue's discography. Well, and I had friends that were Motley fans that just absolutely hated this record. and Or they, they hated Hooligans Holiday and then Misunderstood came out and they didn't like that either. 
But the one the one song I could usually bring to them to say you like old school Motley, this has a bit of that feel was Poison Apples, and they would yeah. like that yeah. one. Yeah, yeah. Still way heavier though. It's heavier, but it, it's catchier than the rest of the record. Yeah. It was a one, two, three punch for me. The power to the music, Uncle Jack and Hooligans Holiday. By that, I, my jaw was on the floor, yeah. and uh, Karabi was the guy. It was awesome. Uh, I have always loved Uncle Jack. Not quite the uh, barn burning tempo, but just so powerful. Yeah, you're 100 really right about that. Lyrical. Talk about a one, two, three punch to kick off an album. Yeah. Power to the music is a great, great opening yeah. track. And then it, it's just, it's perfect. The, the the intro to this album is perfect. On even the, um, you know, as heavy as this record is, it even has a ballad on it. And I think Drift Away is a great ballad. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, if I was going to pick the worst song in this album, I guess that's what it would have to be, is Drift oh, Away. Really? Only because the rest of it's so awesome. And I, I don't even have a problem with this song. Well, for me... The, my least favorite on it. It's not a terrible song, but I don't really. I, this is like the one that I'll usually skip is Dropping Like Flies. I don't care much for that one. Hmm. Yeah, see, I like that too. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I got I to gotta have to agree with Aaron on that. I'd go drift away if I had to. I wouldn't I want to. I wouldn't want but. to either. So then, coming out of Motley Crue's self titled 1994, things get even more confusing because Vince Neil's <laughs> back. But this ain't the Dr. Feel Good. That you remember. Up next, coming up for us, is Motley Crue, Generation Swine. And I remember, man, Motley Crue has really played with my emotions over the years as I look back on this. Because it went from being so excited about Dr. Feelgood and Decade of Decadence. And then all of a sudden, everything's different. And you go, okay, I accept that Motley Crue's different because they are awesome. You know, I love this new direction they're going in. It's okay. Vince Neil is doing his own albums, and those are really good, too. So it's almost like having the best of both worlds. Vince Neil's happy. He's putting out Motley Crue-style music. Motley Crue's happy. They got this awesome new singer, and they're putting out music that is just unbelievably different, but still awesome to anything they've ever done before. But wait, Vince Neil's back. <laughs> But it's not going to be like the Vince Neil that it used to be. I was so confused, but was still so excited. Man, what what an emotional brain mess this is. Because now I'm excited because Vince Neil's back, but I'm sad because John Karabi's gone. But I'm excited because I love the old Motley Crue. But what you get is Generation Swine. <laughs> oh, <laughs> So fucking bad. This album sucks. Okay, <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. I, I I hate this record with a passion. This is their music from the elder to me. Yeah, it's definitely their music from the elder. But sure. I love music from the elder. <laughs> well, that's your problem. <laughs> this, yeah. I mean, I I was one of those the very few totally disappointed people when I got the news that Vince was coming back because, like Aaron said. Vince could do the the party stuff, and Motley could continue with Karabi, and and I was more than happy with that. Yeah. Uh, although, again, I didn't get to see the Motley '94 tour because they made it to Toronto. And guess what? Neither did Generation Swine. <laughs> Actually, that's not true. I think they played a club, and I, you know, living in Hamilton at the time to get to Toronto to get to a club show generally did not happen. So, uh, two tours in a row I missed. Not happy. Hmm. 
it's not like you were that excited to hear the songs off this album live anyway. You, you're not wrong. Although I, 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 there's some gems on there. There so are. I, I, there's there's uh, uh, three or four yeah. maybe. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, I've always thought "Afraid" was decent. I, I as far as strong enough to be a single, I don't know. And uh, I loved "Rat Like Me." I thought that was decent. Yeah. And, but my favorite track is "Beauty." I, I went with the same one, but yeah. I still don't think it's any good. But I went with that one. <laughs> I think it's a cool, cool tune. Very different. Yeah, I went with Afraid. I, I don't okay. know. Afraid's yep. a decent song. Hey, these songs could have been... This is one of them weird albums where it's like, I wish they could go back and redo Generation Swine because, I mean, this is maybe the opposite of the problem with Dr. Feelgood, where Dr. Feelgood, the music was really good. The lyrics were kind of goofy. With this one, there's some really good lyrical things going on in, in a lot of these songs, but musically, it's just, it don't fit. You know, it's something, this whole album is so weird, and I remember this was a big deal, too, on that same radio station, and they made a big deal about Vince Neil being back, and it was the same thing, two albums in a row. You know, Friday night, 7 o'clock, the debut of the new Motley Crue song, and Vince Neil's back. And you're going to hear it. And I remember tuning in for that, too, and it being a big deal and them giving away tickets to go see Motley Crue. And it was a big thing, the Generation Swine. Actually, you know what? I kind of like the title track, too. Yeah, you're right. That's yeah, I'm going to change mine from Afraid to the title track. Yeah, for sure. But, yeah, as far as bad on here, there's a lot of bad. I got a crazy story about a song on this album. Okay. When I worked at the strip club in Wausau, Wisconsin, I met a lot of different girls, very talented in each in their own way. But there was only one girl who ever came into the booth and said, do you have the song Glitter by Motley Crue? (laughs) And I looked at her. I was like, what? I mean, yeah, I got the CD because I bought it on the day it came out. And I guess I could bring it in. But really? Glitter? And she was like. I love that song. (laughs) I was like, I don't know if you're the coolest chick I ever met or if you are completely insane. Take my chances. I'll bring the song in because I'll never turn down a pretty girl telling me to play Motley Crue. But don't talk to me ever again because clearly you are out of your mind. But she did. She danced that song every night. And I was like, I can't believe some girl would ask for track number seven off a of generation swine yeah you know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, meth's a hell of a drug <laughs> it's the only time anybody's ever requested that song that i believe <laughs> and i never understood order, it order because up. it's like i tried to tell her i mean I, I love motley Crue. i think it's super cool that you like this song but nobody in a strip club with dollars in their hands wants to hear somebody singing about <laughs> i want to put a baby Inside of you. <laughs> it was like uh So weird. She dances to that song, then she goes to the guy sitting down. And she's like, you want a lap dance? He's like, well, I did until you danced to that piece of shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm telling that's you. It. That's not the worst song on the album. Oh, no. No. Oh, no. No. We know what the worst song is. <laughs> this album actually features one of the worst songs of all time. I'll agree with you on that. Yeah. Without question, the worst Motley Crue song of all time. 
And I wasn't even a big fan of the new version of Shout at the Devil. Yeah, that was pointless. But nothing will ever reach the depths of the song Brandon. A song, She's your mom. <laughs> a song so bad it would drive a child named Brandon to grow up and assault his own father <laughs> for writing a song about him. Yeah, that was a long time coming. Motley <laughs> <laughs> Crue fans everywhere said thank you. <laughs> and, the, and the judge said dismissed. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. It's so strange talking about if you're if I'm looking at the CD stack, it's only Doctor Feelgood to Motley Crue '94 to Generation Swine. Now the feeling of being a Motley Crue fan for Doctor Feelgood <laughs> versus being a kind of confused but still okay Motley Crue fan for '94 to one album later, just being I don't even know what this is anymore. Yeah. I kind of feel like I grew I grew up with Motley Crue, literally. We had our fun stage, and then we had our kind of confusing stage, and then we had our angry, stupid stage. But now yeah. we're going to get <laughs> to the next one, Motley Crue, New Tattoo. The only album that doesn't feature Tommy Lee on it. Yep. Were you guys excited about this album? Because I know, <laughs> as funny as it seems... I sure was, and I bought this on the day of release. I was kind of over them. Well, not over. I mean, I always be a fan. I always listen to the older stuff, but after Generation Swine, and I was let down because I wanted Karabi to be the singer going forward. So I was just yeah. kind of like, yeah, eh, they, they tried to do Karabi type album with Swine, and that didn't work. But yeah. I'm glad Karabi got the hell away from that. But then it's like it's a return to form for Motley Crue, and. When I heard Hell on High Heels, I was and I, and later I heard the rest of the the album. It's like it's not like the worst thing they've ever done or anything, but like you can tell Tommy Lee's not on this record, and like his drum parts are a huge part of their sound. And it didn't. It's just it's like a it's an okay record, but it it never really captured me like I hoped it would. Yeah, for me, I was so excited about it because anytime Motley Crue comes out with something new, nine times out of ten, I'm going to be there on release day. I'm going to be getting it. It's going to be in my hand because Motley Crue is not a band I want to miss when it comes to new music. And so this one was no different. And I remember playing this at a party and somebody going, is this Motley Crue? I'd be like, hell yeah. I'd be like, wow, I've never heard this song before. I'd be like, because it's brand new. And they'd be like, there's a new Molly Crew album out, <laughs> and it sounds like this. Man, when I heard Hell on Heels, and this is, man, I, I freaking love that song. And to me, without question, Hell on High Heels is the best song on this album. And But I really like all of it. But that tone on that guitar, that riff, that's so Motley Crue, so Motley Crue. If I think you put together greatest hits for Motley Crue today, Hell on High Heels has got to be on there. But, I mean, there's a lot of good stuff on here. I really like the cover of White Punks on Dope. Yeah, it's a great cover. I like Punched in the Teeth by Love is really good. Drag Strip Superstar is pretty cool. Not a big fan of the title track. That's kind of a new tattoo kind of falls in there with Without You. It's kind of the same song. (laughs) 
But this was the album that should have come out after Dr. Feelgood. If they were right. if they were going to continue to be Motley Crue, that would have been the album that should have came out then. Another song on this album that's really, really good is a song called Fake, which is... the That's my favorite. It's a quintessential Motley Crue song. Yeah, see, I look at that, I forgot about Fake. That's my favorite track, for sure. Yeah, I guess. As good as Hell on High Heels is, I'll put it in second place behind Fake, because Fake is so good. I still think Hell on High Heels is the best thing on there, and then... You, you like a lot of stuff on here I don't like. <laughs> so, like really? Like a, I, I don't like Direct Strip Superstar. The worst song, in my easily in my opinion, is First Band on the Moon. That song's terrible. No. New Tattoo is that, worse. Dude. I like that. <laughs> I do. It's so bad, but I love oh. it. Oh, we're going to have to agree to disagree there, guys. <laughs> but this was Motley Crue being what Motley Crue always was. Right. They weren't trying to yeah. be different like they were on 94. They weren't trying to be pretentious like they were on Generation Swine. This was legit. You know, this was real Motley Crue. And, and it's no wonder at this time Tommy Lee didn't want nothing to do with this. You know, I got to imagine he probably felt like, you know, Motley Crue 94 was what they should have stuck with. And then when they got Vince back... But still tried to do the like the ninety four sort of direction with the I mean because I mean Tommy Lee is way is all over Generation Swine. You get so much sampling and so much weird triggered drums and things like that, and his own song, which is awful. To go from <laughs> that to no no now it's time to do Doctor Feelgood Part Two. Yeah, I can well, totally understand why Tommy Lee didn't want nothing to do with that, but the rest of the band was like, this is what we should have been doing all along. Well, to make a comparison for why this album doesn't really do a lot for me is similar to Kiss fans that don't get a big rise out of Sonic Boom, where it kind of feels like we're trying to do what we should have done, but I don't feel, yeah. I just don't sense the chemistry here. It feels like they'd been apart for too long and they weren't getting along, and it sounds like the result of a band not getting along, also missing a giant piece of the puzzle. This album, I think, should be called Vince's Revenge. <laughs> okay. <laughs> or subtitled, I Told You So, by Vince Neil. Because Vince obviously went along with what Crew was doing for Generation Swine, and it didn't work. And so this was his chance to say, I told you so, this was the album we should have done all along, but in the end... It didn't really matter right, because when right. this came oh. out, nobody cared about Motley Crue except for maybe the three of us and <laughs> the thousand people listening to this right now. It well, yeah, it bombed pretty bad. And I, I saw the tour for this when they had Randy. And no disrespect to Randy Castillo. No, awesome drummer. drummer. I but, mean, um, you're right. Maybe there's some chemistry missing there, but you definitely can't take that away from him because Randy Castillo is one of the greatest rock drummers of all time. That's almost like if you can't have Tommy Lee, here's Randy Castillo. And it's like, well, okay, all right, we can make this work. <laughs> I saw them uh, at the amphitheater here in Nashville with Scorpions opening. It was when Randy was playing drums. And uh, the Scorpions were fucking amazing. They just... I mean, they were just awesome. And then Molly Crew came out and stunk up the joint. It was it, Randy played fine, but like the mix was terrible. And Aaron, will you remember going to shows at Starwood? Like if you sit out in the in the grass area, the mix is just god awful. You can't hear worth a damn. Yeah. And Mick Mars's guitar was like three thousand times louder than everything else. <laughs> My ears were literally in pain for three days after that show just from Mick solos. 
Um, but they were, and Vince was a sloppy drunk mess. Um, not a good show, but yeah. And like they, I think they did, I know they did hell on high heels at that show. I don't think they did anything else from this album. Really? Yeah. They may have, but I don't remember, but hell on high, like the audience just could not give a shit less about hearing that song. Yeah. Interesting. Cause I caught that tour as well. Uh, so you got to see it with Randy. Yeah. It was before Samantha, you saw him with Samantha Malone. Yeah. I saw it with Samantha now, and the Scorpions didn't make the trek up to Toronto, so it was Motley and Megadeth. Oh, that's a good and, one. Yeah, and, and that said, Megadeth did not have the greatest night, and uh, and Motley played great that night. So, and they did play. They played Punched in the Teeth, first band on the moon, and uh, Helen High Heels. Okay, well, huh. it rained they didn't the entire do time. Fake, I saw man. Too. Oh, okay. Yeah, we had a great night, but it was fun. I'm surprised that they didn't do fake. That sh- that was a song. I, yeah. I kind of wish they'd released fake as the the single. You know, maybe more people would have paid attention to it. But Hell on High Heels was badass too. Those are two totally Motley Crue songs. But like you said, you know, is Motley Crue really into this? I mean, at this point, you feel like Vince Neil would rather be solo. I could be doing these songs by myself. And Motley Crue, the rest from Tommy Lee don't even want to be a part of it. And the other two guys are probably just like, well, you know, the other way didn't work. So I guess let's try this. And where's the love and the passion in that? You know, it's it's not there. It's not like on Shout at the Devil. The the passion is in that yeah. music. I don't know. These are these are some good songs. Not a lot of oomph behind them. Not a lot of heart and not a lot of passion, I don't think. But still better than Generation Swine. But still way better than Generation (laughs) Swine. (laughs) But not as good as Motley Crue 94. Correct. All right. So we're all on the same page here as we roll up on what I guess will be Motley Crue's final full-length studio album, The Saints of Los Angeles. It had been a minute since Motley Crue's new tattoo came out. And so now at this point, it's many years later, Tommy Lee's back in the band. This is the first album from a reunited Motley Crue in a long time. Were you guys excited for it? Because I know I sure was, just like every album so far. Yeah, I, I was interested in it. I mean, I was more excited for this one than I was New Tattoo. I think because there was kind of a resurgence of this type of music at that time. and Yeah. And I remember this one got a lot better press leading up to it than New Tattoo because New Tattoo came out at a very rough time for this music. So yeah, yeah. Um, there was the general public was embracing, and I remember this got a lot more uh, media attention in the lead up about it. But I do think it was a bit of a uh, overhype type thing because this got hyped to the fucking gills. And it's a good album. I don't think it's as good as the band themselves hyped it to be at the time, but it's it, overall it's it's better than New Tattoo in my opinion. Yeah, I'll agree with that. It is a good album. Um, there's some bad stuff on here. Oh yeah, but there's oh, there's a, there's really a handful of really really good ones on here too. What do you guys think? What's the very best song on this album? Prior to this, of course, building that hype and that momentum was the reunion Red, White, and Crew tour yep. and that double greatest hits package. And I and I do want to throw out Sick Love Song on that collection is the the last great Motley Crue track, in my opinion. That, that is a good song. absolutely kills. Yes, I agree. 
Yeah, and and so that really was what was, to me was the catalyst of the extra hype for for Saints of Los Angeles, which to me is kind of I find it akin to like, um, in a way, Kiss's Psycho Kiss's Psycho Circus. I see some comparisons there that it it to me was not a band record. I think this is heavily heavily six a.m. writing Motley Crue songs. Yeah, it's a DJ Ashbrow album. Yeah, yeah, and and although I love some of it, I, I would pick New Tattoo over over Saints of Los Angeles. Oh, wow, wow. but I like Six AM, so that's why I probably want I to like this too. record. Yeah, I, 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 I mean, too, I can see it in Molly. the production too. You know, in the production of this oh, album, yeah. it's they're Motley Crue songs. So even if DJ Ashbrow wrote a lot of it with Nikki, I mean, they're writing it as if they're writing for Motley Crue, but the production of it is kind of, I don't know, a little too modern for me. Exactly how I feel, yeah. Bob Rock needed to produce this one and be like, just remember those Polaroids you took of the soundboards way back then? Yeah, pull those out (laughs) and set everything back to 1989, and then let's record this bad boy. Do not disagree. I think the title track's the best thing on it. Absolutely. Hmm, I'm a little partial to Down at the Whiskey. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. It's kind of like one of those, like we talked about when we started this today, the the story songs, you know, that Motley Crue are good at. And that what what better story to tell than your own, you know, and it's got a good kind of, a, I don't know, just an early Motley Crue kind of feel to it. Another one that you guys probably think is weird of me to like, but I always kind of wondered what the animal in me would have done if it was released as a single off a of Doctor Feelgood instead of without you, what would how would that have affected the world? Hmm. It's better I, than I, without you. I do like that song. I agree with yeah. you. There. See, I do too. I I listen to that and say if that was released in eighty eight, eighty nine, that would have been massive. Not a lot of love for chicks equal trouble. <laughs> that no, that's probably the worst one. I think. Yeah. Yeah, pretty easily the worst one. Just Another Psycho is cool. I like that. That Just Another Psycho kind of reminds me of like a John Karabi song. Yeah, I can hear that. Like that would have been better with John Karabi singing it in 94. White Trash Circus don't really do it for me. Going Out Swinging is pretty cool. Not a fan of that one. Yeah, Motherfucker of the Year is kind of, that's that's a 6 a.m. song for sure. Yeah. But this ain't a love song. I think is a good one. I think that's a yeah, good track. Yeah, I do off dig of that one. Yeah. So I think that would this ain't a love song would probably be my number two behind down at the whiskey and then probably the title track. Is that the one that says this ain't a love song? This is a fuck song. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that sounds stupid. Come on. <laughs> I don't know. It's kind of cool. I like the music. I guess. Okay. <laughs> When you say it, it's not cool, but when Vince Neil does it, it's different, well, you know. I'm not as cool as Vince Neil, so he wins. That's exactly what I'm trying to say. <laughs> okay. To me, it just didn't come off as a Motley record. But... Yeah. It's yeah. okay. It was, it was cool to have something with their name on it come out at that time, though. Sure. Yep. Yeah, because it was at a time, like Chris was saying, you know, when New Tattoo came out, 
and I'm going, yeah, Motley Crue's got a new album out, and people are going, really? I had no idea. This one, people were actually kind of excited about because it was at that time where everything had changed by then. You know, at at a time when New Tattoo came out, people still made fun of you for liking Motley Crue. Well, by the was, time Saints of Los Angeles came out, everybody loved Motley Crue. It's kind of weird with with New Tattoo, and also this this goes to like Poison doing power to the people. Like those bands could tour and do really well at that time because right, the right. the nostalgia was starting to kick in. But God, people just got they skewered them for putting out records. You know, yeah. it was like, you know, I'll I'll listen to you play Wild Side and talk dirty to me, but I don't want to hear a new record from you. Yeah, see, and for me that sucks because. Personality yeah, exactly. wise, I'm the total opposite of that. And I know Chris, you're the same, and Wally, you're the same. And if you're listening to the Decibel Geek podcast, you're the same too, because there ain't nothing better than new music from your favorite artists. If Kiss came out with a new album tomorrow, I'd be happy about that. You know? Sure. ACDC came out with an album last week, and I'm super happy about that. You know? Yeah. Keep creating, please. Don't I don't want to see my favorite artists get stagnant. I don't want to see them going, all right, you know, every rose has its thorn for the bazillionth time. Here we go. No, I want to see these bands be stimulated and create and create and create. Yeah, for sure. It's a drag that some of them feel they have to sell 10 million copies to make it worth their while. Yeah. So do you guys think we'll ever see another full-length Motley Crue album? Nah. I hope not. (laughs) You hope not? But if it was coming out tomorrow, would you go buy it? Of course. Yeah, of course we would. <laughs> but I, because I, we I, love I, Molly Crew so much, we owe it to him to at least check it out. I know that, that those uh, last few singles have been brutal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We didn't talk about the Dirt soundtrack Ooh. and how bad those songs were. That's better left unsaid. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I do know that Mick's new album is supposed to come out in the first quarter of next year. Finally. Really? Yes. <laughs> I hope so. I know somebody that worked on it. Oh, awesome. Okay, that makes me happy. Right on. I'm so excited to hear that. That's like an Axl Rose thing. I've been waiting so long, but I got a feeling it's not going to be a disappointment. From what I heard, it's going to be awesome. Nice. How could it not be with Mick Mars playing on it? One of the greatest and most underappreciated guitarists of all time. Agreed, but I, I wish the Karabi songs were still on it. As far as I know, those those songs will not be included in yeah, it. Yeah, that's what I heard. If I could have one wish beyond wish out of this whole discussion that we had today is that there would be one more Motley Crue album, but it would be with John Karabi. Oh. Like if those guys decided, said, that. you know what, we were so proud of that era, we were so proud of that band, so proud of that album – that we want to give you guys one more. So we got John Karabi back. We got together. We wrote the songs, the four of us, because even Tommy Lee would be excited about that, I would think. You know, that would make him say, I actually want to come play drums. You know, I don't want to digitally program these rap tunes. You know, I want to actually go play drums to do a Molly Crew album that I could be excited about. Nikki Six would leave Montana for that, I would think, you know, and how fun it would be for them. <laughs> and we talk about how we love our artists to be creative and be stimulated. You guys should do this. I know Nikki Six, I know you're listening to this. You you need to do this. <laughs> There's enough of us now that in retrospect revere the Motley Crue 94 album so much that if you were going to do anything with Motley Crue's name on it, 
that's what you should be doing right now. But I know that Tommy Lee did an interview recently, and he was raving about that the '94 record. So he's he's still got a special place for it. Well, and Nicky just changes his mind. So, well, Nicky lost a lawsuit to Karabi, and that's why he never gives it any praise. Yeah, well, that that interview he did for Sweden Rock Magazine, I just went bananas on that, and he just completely rewrote history and said what yeah. a horrible experience it was, and he's yeah. full of shit. No, absolutely. That's how he, in my article I said, were you full of shit then or are you full of shit now? Yeah, deep down in his heart, he knows that's probably his favorite Motley Crue album, too. That was a real band effort. Great, so great. good. Well, so we're, I guess we're not going to get into the country music tribute to Motley Crue? Come on. What is worse than Time for Change but Darius Rucker doing Time for Change? <laughs> it, it fits Darius Rucker better than it does Motley Crue. It also honestly that. does, too. <laughs> Holy shit, you guys, we've been having so much fun talking about Motley Crue today that I forgot. I've got 11 questions lined up. If you, Wally Gator, think you got what it takes to beat the geek. Ooh, yeah. I've been studying. I've been studying. I don't know. All right, so Chris, you took a break. Wally reminded me, I've got piece of paper and pen, and I'm ready to rock and roll. You guys ready to play some Beat the Geek? Yeah. All right, it's been a while, but if I remember how this works, the way it goes is I'll ask the question. Chris is the geek. He's going to go first, so he'll get the first question. Before Chris answers the question, we're going to ask Wally if he wants to bet against Chris. If he decides to bet against Chris and Chris gets gets it wrong, Wally gets the point. If neither one of them get it right, no points. If Chris gets it right and he's bet against, he gets two points. Am I right? Do I remember correctly? Yep. Sounds Man, right it's been me. a long time. Yep. So let's just get into it and see if we can remember how it goes. So we do remember that the very first question is going to go to Chris. He is the geek, and this is the question. In the early 90s, Pennsylvania glam rock band Heaven's Edge was playing a show at Philadelphia's legendary Empire Rock Club when tragedy struck. What happened? Wally, do you think Chris knows what happened to the band Heaven's Edge that night in Philadelphia, or do you want to bet against him? I'm going to bet against him. Hot and heavy right off the start here on Beat the Geek. Wally Gator's going to bet against Chris Sinzak. And now, Chris, you get the four choices to choose from. Did the singer overdose on stage? Was the bass player shot by a concert goer? Did a bus crash into the building? Or did the club manager stab the drummer? <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> so was there an overdose on stage? the shooting of a bass player, a bus crashing into the building, or a club manager stabbing a drummer? I've known some club managers in my time, and I know their temperament, so I'll say that one. <laughs> that is incorrect. Yes. That night, there was a rowdy was patron. The no, there was a rowdy patron yeah. in the bar <laughs> that got thrown out by security. He went and got a shotgun because he was pissed because he was drunk and fighting and he got thrown out. He came back to shoot the bouncer and accidentally shot Gigi Guidotti, the bass player of Heaven's Edge. 
wow, where did you dig that up? I don't know. I just <laughs> found it and was like, that sounds like a good trivia question. That's too damn hard, man. Come on, dude. The bass player got shot with a shotgun. <laughs> I'm sorry I'm not up on all the Heaven's Edge. You never heard that story before? Well, Wally was smart. He bet against you. And since right. you get it wrong, Wally gets the point. So without even answering a single question, the Canadian is up one over the American. <laughs> this is an international battle. All right, Wally, the next question is yours. Who was Ozzy Osbourne's bass player during the 2003 OzFest tour? Chris, do you think Wally knows who Ozzy's bass player was in 2003? I'm going to say he knows. All right, Wally, you are not being bet against, and your choices are Twiggy Ramirez, Mike Inez, Jason Newstead, or Geezer Butler. Mm. My instinct was Jason Newstead. That is correct. And since Chris did not bet against you, that's one point for Wally. And that brings the score two to nothing off to a hot start. Oh, baby. And the next question goes to Chris. Easy Action was the first Swedish hard rock band to sign a worldwide recording deal. After the demise of Easy Action, the lead singer would join this Swedish band. Got four pretty well-named bands. Chris has got to figure out who the lead singer of Easy Action would join after the demise of the first big Swedish rock band. Wally, do you think Chris knows the answer? I'm going to say he does. All right, Chris, you are not being bet against. Easy Action, they were the big Swedish rock band, and then they broke up. The lead singer, did he go on to join Europe, Clawfinger, Backyard Babies, or Shotgun Messiah? You should have bet against me, Wally. Oh, Damn. <laughs> I'm going to guess Shotgun Messiah. The lead singer of Easy Action was Zinni J. Zan. That is correct. Yeah. He went on to join Shotgun Messiah. Wally does not bet against you, but you get the point for getting it correct. Nice one, Chris. That nice. guy knows his Sweden rock. <laughs> no, I don't. It was a total guess. <laughs> that would have been my guess, too. <laughs> The guitar player from Easy Action goes on to join Europe. Oh, was right. it John Norum? Uh, no, the other one. Key. Key Marcello. That's the one. Oh, okay. He's a great guitar player. Yeah. All right, Wally, right back to you. You've got two to one lead right now. And your question is this. While auditioning to be the guitarist for Def Leppard, Steve Clark solidified his place by impressing his future bandmates with his rendition of this song. Chris, do you think Wally knows which song sealed the deal to get Steve Clark his job as a guitarist in Def Leppard? Why not go for it? I'll say he doesn't know it. All right, you are being bet against. The pressure is on. What song did Steve Clark play <laughs> to get his job in Def Leppard? Was it Free Bird by Leonard Skinnerd? Stairway to Heaven by Led Zeppelin, Bad Out of Hell by Meatloaf, or Savoy Truffle by The Beatles. Hmm. 
Freebird, Stairway to Heaven, Bat Out of Hell, Savoy Truffle. Gonna go with Freebird. That is correct. Damn. And since Chris Sinzak bet against you, and you got it right, that's two points. Yeah. Ding, ding. (laughs) Getting slaughtered by a Canadian. What the hell? (laughs) Four to one. We all know how things can change in the kiss round. That's still coming up. Right now, Chris, the question is yours, and we're going to do a battle, a battle of 1986. Which of the following four albums released in 1986 charted the highest on the U.S. Billboard album charts? Wally, I'm going to give Chris four albums. He's got to figure out which of the four charted the highest in the U.S. was the most popular in 1986. Do you think he knows it, or do you want to bet against him? I'm going to play the chess strategy, so I've got a bit of a lead. I'm going to say he knows it. All right, Chris. While he's playing it safe with his nice three-point lead, and he's not going to bet against you, and these are your choices. Which one charted the highest in 1986? Was it Mechanical Resonance by Tesla, Peace Sells But Who's Buying by Megadeth, Turbo by Judas Priest, or Rat Dancing Undercover? Hmm. Wow. Wow, some interesting choices. Um, I'd have to go with Rat. That is incorrect. Really? Yep. As a matter of fact, out of the four of them, Megadeth charted in at 76, Tesla charted in at 32, Rat Dancing Undercover at 26. It was Turbo. And Turbo in the United States charted at number 17. You got it wrong. that album. But Wally did not bet against you, so no points awarded. The score remains four to one. Judas Priest Turbo. I would have probably never guessed that either. Wow. I'm I'm glad. That's surprising. I love that record. All right, Wally. We're going to do this fair. So you're going to get a battle, too. This is the battle of 1979. Which of the following albums released in 1979 charted the highest on the Canadian album oh, charts good call so we got four albums released in 1979 to make it fair we're going to talk about the canadian album charts which of the four of these ranked the highest chris do you think wally knows his canadian charts i'm down by three you see yeah you are and the kiss rounds coming up kiss rounds coming up next i gotta get back into it so i'll bet against him all right chris playing it smart and tight He's got to get some points back, so Wally, you are being bet against. So which of these four albums ranked the highest on the Canadian album charts in 1979? Was it Cheap Tricks, Dream Police, Triumphs, Just a Game, Kiss's Dynasty, or ACDC's Highway to Hell? Wow. Okay, so I was nine. I'm trying to think back. Listening to radio, I wasn't really into the rock by that point, so... Cheap Trick, Triumph, yep. Kiss, or ACDC? I'm going to go with Kiss. That is incorrect. Yes. Damn. Actually, out of the four of these, in Canada, ACDC Highway to Hell was 40 
Triumph Just a Game was 33. Kiss's Dynasty in Canada made it up to six. But Dream Police by, che- really? by Cheap Trick, number four. Wow. I would have guessed Kiss, too. So Chris yeah, did bet against you, and you got it wrong. Man, he needs it. A point for Chris. And that brings us up to the Kiss round. Double the points. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and the first question in the Kiss round goes to Chris. In a 2007 poll that was taken at DemocraticUnderground.com, to determine which member of the original lineup was the most popular with fans today, <laughs> who out of the original four members won with 79% of the vote? We already know the choices. Wally, what do you think? It's the kiss round, double the points. You want to bet against him? Not a chance. <laughs> All right, Chris, you're not being bet against. In 2007, DemocraticUnderground.com put up a poll and asked, who's your favorite member of the original four members of KISS? And one of the guys won with 79% of the vote. You know the names. Who's the man? Gene? That is incorrect. Really? In 2007, on a poll that said who is most popular today with 79% of the vote, most popular, the spaceman, Ace Fraley. Why didn't wow. I just? Why didn't I do that? Considering who's asking the question. <laughs> I you know, I just thought it was interesting. I just thought I'd bring it up. You know. <laughs> I would have said Gene for sure. Damn. Yeah, maybe in '77, but not in 2007. Chris, you were not bet against. You got it wrong. Could have been double the points, but instead, it's nothing. Score remains two to four. Oh, yeah. So the question in the kiss round now goes back to Wally Gator. And this one's for you. Famous Canadian songwriter Jim Valance penned the song Rock and Roll Hell that would appear on the Creatures of the Night album. The song was previously released in 1979 on an album by this Canadian rock band. Chris, he is Canadian, and he is a KISS fan. Do you think he knows the answer to the question? I'm going to be angry at him if he doesn't know this. I'm not betting against him. All right, in the KISS round, he could cash in big, but he's going to let it slide. Wally, your choices are Triumph, BTO, Loverboy, or Prism. Well, I'm going with BTO. That is correct. Because in the original version of it that was released, it was on the BTO album, Rock and Roll Nights. The library of CGCM Radio, that track. Nice. See, I've never heard that before I looked at this today. So you were not bet against, but it is double the points. That's two of them. So Wally now in the lead, six to two, with only two questions left. Yeah, so I'm done. (laughs) No. Chris is pretty well done it would take some kind of crazy uh mathematical miracle but we'll see all right chris this question goes to you it is your last question in the early years of the band poison played a show in arizona where club owners took issue with brett michaels pissing in a cup on the side of the stage which erupts into a brawl between the band and the bouncers what was the final result 
Well, you know, Chris is a big Poison fan. Do you think he knows what was the result of this brawl in Arizona? Well, I'm going to be a gentleman and bet against him. All right, Chris, he's being a gentleman. He's doing the Canadian way. He's giving you a chance. Your choices are CeCe was badly beaten by security. Brett was arrested for indecent exposure. The band and crew beat up the bouncers. Bobby Dahl was arrested for punching a cop. What went down that night? Uh, CC was arrested. That is incorrect. <laughs> Actually, the band and the crew beat the shit out of the bouncers that night. That's and when a the hard question, man. And when, and when the cops showed up, they said these little skinny guys wearing makeup with their long hair beat the shit out of you guys. You guys get on out of here and let them go. <laughs> As a matter of fact, wow. they said Robbie Crane, you know, the, he would go on to play bass with Vince Neil and Rat and a bunch of other bands. Yep. He was like 17 year, years old at the time, this little skinny kid, and beat the shit out of some 6'5 bouncer and left him in a bloody mess. Wow. That's kind of the equivalent of what's happening to me in this game. <laughs> yeah, you're being beaten and left in a bloody mess because Wally was trying to be gentlemanly and bet against you and give you a chance. And what did you do? You gave him the point. That brings the score up 7-2. to two. One question left, and this one goes to Wally. Wally, how did Jakey Lee find out he was fired from Ozzy's band? Chris, do you think Wally knows? I mean, you might as well bet against him, right? What do you got to lose? You don't even have nothing to win. Uh, I'll bet against Alright Wally In desperation Hopeless Desperation You're being bet against How did Jakey Lee find out he was fired from Ozzy's band Did he hear it from a roadie Get a FedEx from Sharon Heard it in a heart to heart with Ozzy Or read it in a magazine I want to say he read it in a FedEx from Sharon. That is incorrect. He actually heard it from a roadie. Poor guy. Oh, roadie. Okay. Interesting. Well, Chris gets the point, but man, what a blowout today. We're going to change the name just for today to beat the Gator, which cannot be done. Congratulations, Wally. Man, what a score. Seven to three. Did not expect that. Chris, you're rusty, man. You have to come back for a rematch. Yeah, you're you're out of practice. (laughs) Yeah, that's for sure. But, yeah, if you beat Chris, you're uh, eligible for a rematch, I think, down the line for sure. Wally, it's Thanksgiving time. A little late for you, a little early for us, but I'm very thankful that you were able to come on the show today with us and talk about some Motley Crue. It's been a blast. It was absolutely way overdue and too much fun. Thanks so much, man. It was like, it was great to catch up with you and uh, fun to talk to you guys about these albums. Heck yeah. Absolutely. You guys stay tuned next week. We got a really, really important episode coming your way with some special guests. And uh, it could be a really historical episode for the Decibel Geek podcast. So you're not going to want to miss that. Thanks to Wally Gator. Of course, you guys check him out on the CGCM podcast and radio network. Those guys have gone on from doing our little show on Thanksgiving to doing so much. We're proud of you guys. You know that. 
Ah, uh, the radio's fun, man. The radio's been a been a big learning experience for sure. But they're out there for you to enjoy. So check them out if you love Canada and who don't. Enjoy Canada's favorite sons, Wally and Rich on the CGCM podcast. And like I said, next week's going to be a real important one, so you guys make sure to join us. Share, retweet us, check us out with Rock and Ron Runyon on Decibel Geek TV, and uh, we'll see you guys next week. See ya. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.